Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness over the last five years. Thank you for bringing together this uh, community of people from all over St. Louis, from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, bringing us together, Lord, to grow in you, to learn from you, to learn from your word, uh, to get closer to you, to take one step closer to you, uh, to draw closer to one another and to grow in you. And Father, we just praise you for this. We praise you for all you have done. Uh, we, we lift up our hearts and our voices today and we rejoice and we celebrate and we do sing hallelujah. The lamb is overcome and we're just so thankful, God, for all that you've done for us. So just everything we do today, let it bring honor to you. Let it bring glory and praise to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, five years ago, uh, we launched U City Family Church five years ago today, right here in the Tivoli Theater. And I don't know what that day was like for most of you, but I can tell you that for me and my house, uh, that day was crazy. Um, it was one of the most, well, one of the most important days of our life. And leading up to it, we had just spent so much time and so much energy and so much uh, had wrung our hands so many times and been anxious and worried and is it going to work out and uh, and so the the night before and I've told this story before but I got to tell it on our anniversary the night before we launched U City Family Church I was lying in bed going through every single detail of what it was going to be like like every little piece of like is this all going to come together and I had this thought in my mind this is about one o'clock in the morning the thought was what if the guys don't show up to my house to get the trailer full of equipment that we're going to drive down to the Tivoli uh, and, and set up for church service? What if they don't come? That was just an eventuality that I started thinking about at one o'clock in the morning. I thought, will I be able to go get the trailer out of my garage that's full of equipment? And will I be able to personally, on my own, drag it out and hook it to a van? Will I be able to do that? This is what I'm thinking at one o'clock in the morning. So then I think... Well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> so at one o'clock in the morning, in my slippers and night robe, I am in the garage the night before we launched New City Family Church, pulling a trailer over the hump in the garage, and I get it about three feet out, and it falls into a drainage grate, and the front wheel breaks off. And my neighbors have to be going like, what is going on right now? What, what? One o'clock in the morning. So I thought, okay. You know, you're, you're, you've obsessed. You're, now you're actually obsessive. You need to put the thing back in. So I put the trailer back in, and I go back to bed, try to sleep a little bit, wake up the next morning. The guys are there. They help us get the trailer and, and, and move it out. Um, I said, okay, guys, you've got all the equipment. Head over to the Tivoli. I'll be right behind you. Jumped in my car, turned the engine. Nothing. Wouldn't start. I thought, okay. The launch of U City Family Church. We've been building to this for two years. And the pastor is sitting in his car that won't start on the street. Can't get to church. So I run into the house. And I was going to ask my wife, Rebecca. I said, Babe, can you, you know, take me to, to the Tivoli? And we have babies around. And the only sane person in our house was LaToya. LaToya Amati is here today. She is a friend of ours from Arizona. She came and lived with us and helped us launch the church for the first three months. She was a, yeah, my, my wife is going to standing ovation to LaToya. LaToya was the only sane person in the house. She was like, hey, you know what? This is all God's thing. We can just calm down and pray and it'll all be fine. And I'm like, no, it won't, LaToya. Um, so I go inside 
to, to see if my wife can take me. She's so nervous, folks. I think I'm allowed to tell this oversharing moment. She's, she's getting sick. She's throwing up on, in the bathroom that morning. She's so nervous. She's like, no problem. I can take you. Let's go. <laughs> this is how our day started. I don't know how your day started. We get to church. People are coming. And I'm like, all right, I need to take one final check. I'm going to go and I'm going to check all the computers for all the screens that are playing, you know, visuals and videos. And I'm going to do a final check. So I went and did a final check of all the computers. I unwittingly but systematically disabled every single one of the computers so they could not show and project the images. Finally, our team was like, Brent, just stand back, say a prayer. We've got it from here. And somehow we launched U City Family Church five years ago today, and I praise God for it. Now, here's the thing. Five years ago today, we could not have imagined, none of us could have imagined where we would be five years later. We could not have imagined the marriages that have been restored over the last five years in this congregation. We could not have imagined the spiritual and emotional wounds that have been healed in this congregation over the last five years. We couldn't have imagined the building of real community and loving relationships across racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic divides in this city. We could not have imagined that happening five years ago. We could not have imagined five years ago that we would baptize nearly 100 people in the last five years at U City Family Church. Mother Ray is our baptism team leader. She is itching for another baptism service. So if you're even thinking about getting baptized, you better let us know. Mother Ray is ready to go, go at it. Another hundred. We couldn't have imagined that 43 people in the last 12 months would commit their life to Christ here in this congregation. In the last 12 months. We could not have imagined that we would go from six life groups to 25 life groups in five years. We could not have imagined that. We couldn't have imagined that we would go from a dream team of 10 to a dream team of almost 150 people actively serving, actively serving every month in this congregation. And here's one I love. We could not have imagined that in five years, we as a congregation would give away $121,341. Not that the church has been given, but that the church has given away to other nonprofit agencies, to missions organizations, to feed the poor, to clothe the naked, to stand up for the oppressed, to free the captives, uh, to share the love of Christ with thousands of men and women and boys and girls worldwide. We could not have imagined what God would do among us and within us five years ago today. But here's what we've discovered in these five years. What we have discovered on this journey is that every time we have taken a step in pursuit of God's purpose for us, God has been standing on the other side of that step, welcoming us, bringing us, guiding us deeper into our purpose, deeper into a relationship with him, deeper into the life that he has called us to lead, and deeper into the mission that he has called us to fulfill. Every time we've taken a step, he's been there for us. And I can tell you personally, without reservation and without hesitation, that I am so thankful that God called our family to take the step to plant this church five years ago today. This has been unequivocally the best five years of my life. And I am so thankful and so grateful and so honored 
to be called your pastor and to get to serve you in this role and to help other people, men and women from all over our city, take the next step on their spiritual journey with you. So, again, happy anniversary, you City Family Church. This week, as I was praying about what to say on this occasion, my heart and my mind kept being drawn to a particular character in the scripture, a character that's one of the most colorful, one of the most raw, one of the most transparent characters in all of the scripture, and his name is Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter because Simon Peter embodies one of the core principles that we embrace as a church family and that we've embraced here over the past five years. You see, Peter wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't a great theologian. He wasn't a great orator. He didn't know Greek. He, didn't, he, he wasn't well accomplished or well educated. He didn't have it all together. But there was one characteristic about Simon Peter that set him apart from everybody else. And that is that Simon Peter, in the face of his fear, in the face of his failure, in the face of shame, in the face of regret, in the face of all that he faced was always willing to take one more step to follow the man who had called him, who had changed him, and who had empowered him to become something that he never dreamed he could become. He went from an obscure fisherman to a history-changing global powerhouse simply because he was willing to take one more step on his journey of faith, one more step in pursuit of God's purpose for his life, one more step to live out the life that God had called him to live. He didn't always know where the end game would go. He didn't always have a grasp on exactly where his life would lead. But he discovered that when you are in pursuit of God, there is no limit to where you can go if you're just willing to take one more step. There's no limit to where you can go if you're just willing to take one more step. When we meet Peter for the first time in the scripture, we learned that he's from a town called Bethsaida. Now, I looked up Bethsaida, and it is a backwoods country town. Even when you say it, depending on how you say it, it sounds country. Is that Bethsaida? I'm from Bethsaida. In fact, the town means hunting and fishing. That's what the town means. It actually means that. He's from, it, it, P- Peter is country, right? How, do we have any country folks in the congregation? You just admit it. Come on. Wow, all right. Welcome. Um, P- Peter is one of these guys, I don't know if you know people like this, that are like super from the backwoods, right? Like, and you can see it in scripture. He never quite articulates things the way they're supposed to. He always kind of comes out a little clunky, a little rough. I'm not saying that you're, I'm not saying anybody's rough or clunky around here. But Peter is, he, he's country, right? I've got a friend who um, is super country, and he's one of these friends, he's so country, you need subtitles when you talk to him. Because, you know, and I was with him, um, this is a while back. I was with him, and I was with my son, Jameson, who's seven. And my friend was trying to tell me about this hunting trip that he went on. And my son, Jameson's a little squeamish about hunting or guns or anything that blood or anything like that. So as my friend starts to tell this story, I start going, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. But the way my friend talks this is the way he says, he said, you know, I'll do, I'll do a little bit of his accent. Uh, he says, you know, I was out there, on the, out there in the cornfield. I saw a buck coming over the cornfield. I lined up my 30 out 6 on that buck, about lined up on the beat on, about took the hind quarters right off that thing. 
And then I, he said, no, no, he said, then I saw a doe coming across the field on the other side of the line to beat up on that, but I pretty much took the hide off that one too, skin right off her skin. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, all right, this is getting kind of graphic. And I'm looking at Jameson, and Jameson's just like listening, like just listening, you know. And I, it's so weird. So I take Jameson in the car afterwards, and I go, hey, Jameson, you know, what did you think of the story that my friend told? And he goes, well, Dad, you know, I was listening really closely, but I couldn't understand a word that guy said. I was like, that's because that dude is country, Jameson. He's country as a baked bean sandwich is what he is. Only adverbs he knows are piggly and wiggly. You know what I mean? He's country. All right. So when we meet Peter, come on, back on track. When we meet Peter, he's got no aspirations to greatness, no aspirations to power. He's just trying to make a living. He's just trying to get by. He's just a guy trying to make, make it in the world. And on the day we meet him, things are not going well for Peter. Not at all. He's had one of those days that are so infuriating, so frustrating. He was out all night long fishing, and he caught nothing. And this isn't like a casual fishing trip. This is him and his business partners out fishing because that's, they're a commercial fishing business. There's four of them. And they're out all night trying to fish, trying to catch a fish, and they caught zero fish all night long. So when we meet him, that's kind of the state that he's in. And on the particular day that we meet him, he's out there and he's washing the nets on the shore. You can kind of hear him mumbling and grumbling, throwing some curse words around under his breath. And on that day, Jesus decided to come down to the little cove where he and his partners would park their boats and where people would gather to, uh, to buy fish and that sort of thing, a sort of market area. And Jesus comes down and starts to preach. So I'm trying to imagine what that was like in my life or in my mind. What is that? And I actually found a photograph I want to show you. This is a photograph taken from 1910 on the Sea of Galilee. And it's a little cove. And you can see people coming down and fishermen coming in. And this is where the fishermen would come in and they would, you know, sell their fish. And people would gather and it'd be like a little bit of a marketplace. So get this kind of picture in your mind. This is what's happening. Peter is there on the shore washing his nets. And Jesus comes and he starts to preach. Well, a crowd begins to gather around Jesus. He had become so popular uh, in that area that people would just throng to him. They would swarm to him. And so we don't know how well Peter and Jesus knew one another, uh, but we know that Jesus knew Peter well enough at that point to say, hey, Peter, I want to use your boat. I want you to get in the boat with me, and I want you to pull out a little bit uh, so I can get into the water a little bit, just a little bit out in the cove so I can preach to this group of people because everybody's pressing in on me. So this cove would become sort of like a little bit of an amphitheater. His voice would echo off the water, and he would be able to sit in this boat and preach to you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people. So he sits there, and Peter's in the boat with him. And after the sermon, the crowd kind of disperses. And then Jesus turns to Peter, and he goes, Peter, here's what I want you to do. He knew, G Jesus knew that Peter had had no luck the night before, and he was mad, and he was ticked off. And so Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to pull out into the lake a little bit, and I want you to throw your nets back in the water. I want you to take another shot. I want you to take another step. I want you to try one more time. And I love how Jesus, uh, Peter responds. This is an interesting moment because Jesus is not a fisherman. Peter is a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. Now he's a preacher. And Peter is going, okay, I'm, I'm kind of like the expert in the fish department, Jesus. Uh, and he says to Jesus, he goes, Teacher, um, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. He's saying, look, I've, I've, this isn't my first rodeo. I've fished this lake a few times, and we haven't caught anything. Now, you're asking me to go back out and try again. And, 
you know, when you're thinking about from Peter's perspective, it would have been very easy for him to go, look, this is worthless. I've, I've literally 12 hours I've been doing this. But this is what sets Peter apart. Because Peter sees something in Jesus that makes him go, you know what, there's, some, there's a presence of God about this guy that I want to be close to. I want to hear a little bit more of what he's got to say. I want to I just grow a little bit. I'm, I'm willing to take one more step towards what he asked me to do just to see what happens. And so Simon Peter, even though he didn't understand why Jesus was asking him to do what he did, Simon Peter took his boat and went out one more time. And the scripture says, well, actually, Peter says, look, Jesus, because you say so, I'm going to do it. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. I'm not sure why I'm doing it. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. So they go back out. They go into the water one more time. And the scripture says this. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You see, Peter had tried and failed. And he 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 was ready to give it up for the day. He was done. But when Jesus asked him to take one more step, he said, all right, I'll take one more step. And Peter discovered something on that day that he was going to need for the rest of his life. Here's what he discovered. He discovered that when you are following Jesus, your past failures do not define your future potential. Your past failures, when you're following Jesus, don't define where you're going. These folks that are coming out of prison into the Concordance Leadership Academy, their, their past failures do not define their future potential. Otherwise, we wouldn't be embracing them. We wouldn't be involved with them. But your past failures do not define your future potential. I've told the story a few times about how when I was a teenager, growing up in a pastor's home, my dad, both of my grandpas were pastors, and, and, and I felt a very strong sense of calling as a teenager to become a pastor and to follow God uh, into the ministry, into the vocational ministry. And the, the thing is, I really didn't want to do it. I really did not want to do that. I wanted to try to do something completely different with my life. And part of the story that I don't tell very often, but I'll tell today, is that I was working there here in St. Louis. Uh, I was just about to graduate high school, and I just felt this strong call to go do this. I did not want to do it, but I couldn't really shake it. And so finally one night, late at night, after finishing my shift, delivering pizza, at Emo's Pizza on McKelvey Road in North County. Okay, okay. Um, about two in the morning, after having my, my shift pie, bacon and tomatoes, Provel cheese, uh, I went home, woke up my dad, and I said, Dad, it's, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I've got to at least go do this. I, I want to go to Bible college. I want to go to Bible school. So my dad said, you know, okay, first of all, it's four in the morning. Can we talk about this in a couple hours? Yeah, no problem. So we got up the next morning. We talked about it. I packed up my car, drove to a little unaccredited Bible college in Stockton, California. And I enrolled. I read my books. I did my best. I tried as hard as I could. But for whatever reason, I could not, I could not break through into what I was supposed to be doing at this Bible college. And not only did I struggle with my coursework, I began to struggle very deeply with my faith while I was at this Bible college. I began to have some conflict with my instructors. And by the end of the first year 
of this little Bible college in Stockton, California, I had had enough. I dropped out, I packed up my car, and I drove off. And I said, I'm done with this. And not only do I, am I done with this whole ministry thing, but I'm done with the faith altogether. And I walked away from the Christian faith that I had been brought up in. Walked away completely. And for the next more than a decade, I was not a follower of Christ at all. Uh, I would show up to church when I needed to um, for appearance sake, but my heart was just not there. Then you've heard me tell that in 2005, uh, God used a, a series of events in, in our family's life to reach out to me and to draw me close to him. And I became a follower of Jesus again in 2005. And when I did, that spark, that sense of calling, that sense of like, this is what God wants me to do, that started to stir again within me. And yet I had this sort of hanging specter of fear outside here saying, you've already gone down that path and you failed. You blew it. You tried and you couldn't make it. You couldn't cut it. What if that happens again? And even as I began to mature in my faith, I still held that fear in my heart about that failure that was hanging over me. But God began to speak something into my life and maybe he's speaking it into your life. And he was saying that your past failures do not define your future potential. He was saying, I want you to cast your net in one more time. I want you to take one more shot. I want you to take another swing at it. I know you've tried. I know you've failed. I know you're tired. I know you want to lie down on the beach and just chill out and not try again. But I want you to throw your net one more time. And finally, in September of 2011, five years ago today, we threw our nets back in the water one more time, and the nets are bursting. God was faithful to us throughout this time. Some of you have failed in areas of your life that you don't even talk about anymore. You failed in a marriage or in a relationship or in your finances or in your career or in your motherhood or your fatherhood or your school or your, the opportunities that have come up. And you just kind of want to bury that. And I, I would say to you today that Jesus is reaching out to you and he's saying, I want you to cast your net one more time. Your failures don't define your future. And if you'll just take that one step, there's no limit to where you can go. After the fishing incident with Jesus and Peter, Peter says, all right, I'm, I'm going to follow this guy. He just filled my boat up with fish. I like where this is going, and I'm going to follow him. So Peter began to follow Jesus everywhere he went. You start reading the Gospels. Every time you see Jesus somewhere, Peter's there. Even when the other disciples didn't go with Jesus, Peter was always right there. He's like right always by his side. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him feed the hungry. He saw, he saw him do all of these amazing things. And Peter begins to see a future for himself that's different from the future that he had planned. He begins to dream of a future that's bigger than what he had ever dreamed of before. But there's still something haunting Peter. There's a fear haunting Peter that he doesn't talk about. And it's a fear that every fisherman knows. If you've ever seen, have you ever seen Deadliest Catch? Anybody seen that? The greatest fear of every fisherman is to be washed over sea in the middle of a storm. Because there's, there's nothing worse than that for a fisherman. And one day, Simon Peter is out on the boat, out on the Sea of Galilee, with his men, with his, some other disciples, and a storm comes up. Now, the Sea of Galilee was notorious 
among sailors for the sudden and violent storms that could arise. There were steep cliffs on the edge. It has, uh, it's way below, 700 feet below sea level. So these winds could come down and whip up waves of 10 feet in, in, in just a moment's notice. These kind of like shipping vessels that Peter and his men used, uh, they could be crushed. They could be capsized and crushed at a moment's notice. And so Peter knew that this was a very dangerous possibility. He had probably seen other sailors, other fishermen like him, other friends die in this uh, sea. And so one day he's out on the sea with these men, and the scripture says that a big storm came down. It says the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves because the wind was against it. Peter's in the, in the boat in the middle of a deadly storm, and the scripture says shortly before dawn, Jesus, who had been out praying on the hillside, walks out onto the water towards Peter. Now, you can almost see him in your mind's eye. The waves are crashing, and the men are terrified, and Jesus is walking out onto the water. The scripture says that when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Don't be afraid. And here we see Peter again stepping out from the crowd. Because while all of the other disciples cowered in the hole of the boat, Peter says... Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. If it's you, tell me to take a step that I've never taken before. If it's you, tell me to face my greatest fear. If it's you, Lord, tell me to take a step towards you in a situation over which I have no control. And Jesus responded with one word. He said, come, come. And the scripture says that Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Was he terrified? Absolutely. Was he afraid? Yes. Was he anxious that he might lose his life? Yes, he was. But Peter wanted to take a step into his fear so that his faith could grow. Here's what Peter discovered in that moment. He discovered that fear is the means through which your faith is built. In other words, you've got to face some of your fears if you want to build your faith. You don't build your faith by doing things that are easy. You don't build your faith by trying to accomplish something that you can accomplish on your own. You don't build your faith by by, by tackling a project that you know you can tackle. You build your faith by reaching beyond your grasp. You build your faith by stepping into a fear and trying to face that fear and overcome that fear by the power of God within you. You do not grow your faith unless you're willing to face your fear. This week, I had the honor of attending the graduation of the St. Louis Business Diversity uh, Initiative. And our very own Debbie Bennett, co-leader of the prayer team, graduated from this illustrious program on Thursday evening. Way to go. It's a really great honor. Uh, Kirk Williams, one of our trustees, graduated from the program a few years ago. And he was asked, come on, all right, let's let's, do it. And he was asked to to share on the panel. And he shared something on this panel. And then I talked to him in the parking lot afterwards and said, can I share that on Sunday morning? And he said, yes. And then I called Jennifer and I said, can I share that on Sunday morning? And she said, yes. Um, One of the things that Kirk shared that evening was how God brought him through the, really the darkest period of their family's life. In 2011, some of you know this, but Kirk and Jennifer had a beautiful baby girl named Addison. And as any parent knows, a parent's greatest fear in life is losing a child. 
Well, in March of 2013, the Williams' greatest fear came to pass. Their little baby, Addison, got terribly sick and died from a rare heart condition. Their world was rocked. Their lives turned upside down. The waves crashed in on them. But Kirk said that somewhere in the depths of his despair, God reached out, took him by the hand, and brought him through the waves. He said that in that time of trial, all the other fears in his life began to dissolve. Because God had been with him through his darkest fear, through his darkest hour. And so the following year, Kirk took a step that he had been wanting to take for years, but had been afraid to take. He enrolled in Washington University's MBA program. And in December of last year, he not only graduated from that program, he graduated top of the class, Beta Gamma Sigma, and was awarded the prestigious C. William Emery Award for outstanding scholarship, character, and leadership. He took a step into a fear, and God was there. Because God was calling their family to face their greatest fear and to take a step in faith, and he listened, and they've listened to the voice of God, and they've taken steps, and they keep taking another step deeper into their purpose, deeper into their calling, deeper into their relationship with Christ. Fear is the means by which your faith is built. Whatever that fear is, and you know what it is in your life, step into that fear. Step into that fear by the power of God's love and grace and mercy. Face that fear and grow in your faith. God brought them through an unimaginable fear. If you're not facing any fears in your life right now, if you're not facing any challenges that cause you to be nervous, you're not facing big enough challenges. You need to go bite off a bigger challenge. If you're not reaching for a dream that you can't, uh, that you can, if you're not reaching for a dream that, that you can't grasp on your own, you're not reaching for a big enough dream. Reach out for a bigger dream. God is calling all of us to step out into the waves. He's calling us to take one more step because there's no limit to where you can go if you're willing to take one more step. Near the end of Jesus' ministry, Peter had grown immensely in his spiritual life. He was more mature, more confident, more full of faith than he had ever been. He may have even got a little bit overly confident. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody here. You kind of get like, hey, I've got my strut on and I'm doing pretty good. In fact, when Jesus comes to him at one point and says, hey, I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be taken from you and I'm going to be crucified and, and you guys are going to betray me and you're going to deny me and you're going to run like sheep that have been you know, uh, uh, scattered. Peter says, not me. Everybody else may run. Everybody else may leave you, but I'm going to be here for you. You've seen how I am. I'm Peter. I can't, I can't be stopped, right? But the night that Jesus was arrested, the scripture says that Peter followed from afar. And Peter was taken, in, or Jesus was taken into the home of the high priest. And Peter came behind them and was observing from the shadows. In fact, Peter was down in a little courtyard where they had built a fire. And he could actually see Jesus, if you can imagine, the, the, the sort of open uh, uh, floors of the first century home. And, and Jesus is up on sort of the second tier there and Peter's down in this courtyard and he can see Jesus being put on trial and as he's standing there in this courtyard a small group of people gathered and one of them sort of recognizes Peter in the flickering flickering light of the sun of the of the fire and says to him aren't you one of Jesus's followers and there's that split second moment where Peter can say yes and risk arrest and risk endangerment to his own life or he can deny and Peter says 
No, I don't know who he is. Never seen him. Somebody else steps forward and says, no, you, I think you're the Galilean that was following him. You're one of his guys. And Peter says, it, it's not me. You've got me confused with somebody else. And finally, a third person says, Peter, no, uh, th- you know, says to Peter, I know who you are. You are one of Jesus' followers. And then Peter just vehemently denies it. Peter says he curses. And he says, I don't even know him. I have no idea who you're talking about. I'm not one of his followers. And then we read one of the most heartbreaking scriptures in the Bible. The scripture says that while Peter was saying this, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus actually looks down at Peter while Peter is denying him. And it just sears his heart. His conscience is seared. It says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Everything that he had been growing in his life, every step of progress that he had been made, been making, everything that he had been doing for the last three years suddenly shattered by his own sin, by his own cowardice, failing to even acknowledge that he was one of Jesus' followers. And of course, you know how the story goes from there. Jesus is taken up on the hill uh, of the skull and he was crucified, breathed his last, gave up the ghost, taken down from the tree and was buried And on the third day, when the women went to go and anoint his body, the stone was rolled away and there was no one there. And the women, it says, came back to the disciples. And they started telling the disciples everything that they had seen. And the scripture says that the disciples did not believe the women. Because what they were saying to them sounded like nonsense. But then here's where we see Peter. Just one more time. It says that Peter, however, everybody else says this is crazy. We're not going anywhere. You guys are insane. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When nobody else could find hope in their heart, he found hope. When nobody else could find faith in their heart, he found faith. He had made the biggest mistake of his life, and he was determined he was never going to do it again. Here's what he discovered, and here's what we can discover today. Repentance is the catalyst for restoration. He had run away from Jesus And now he was turning around and he was running back. That's all repentance is. It just means turn around, go the other way. Some of us have run one way and it's just today the next step is to turn around and start walking the other way. In different areas of our life, maybe it's some some area in your life, maybe you've been a believer all your life, but there's a part of your life where you've been tracking down the wrong path and today's the day where you take that turn and you come around and you say, I'm gonna go back this way. It means instead of continuing on the path I'm on, I'm going to turn around. Peter ran away from him weeping bitterly, and he came back to him, and Jesus embraced him with open arms. Not only embraced him, but said, you know, after he had risen, he said, listen, I'm going to commission you. I want you to be the one to go out and tell the world about who I am and and what I've done. And 50 days later, we see this great moment. Uh, where a group of people had gathered, Jesus had ascended, uh, and a group of people had, had gathered together and were prepared to hear uh, what these Christian folks were all about. And the scripture says that Peter stood up with the eleven. There was a sea of people. No longer was he on the Sea of Galilee. He was surrounded by a sea of humanity. And it says Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And in that moment, he just fearlessly and boldly declared who God was. 
and how Jesus had died and been buried and, and crucified and rose again from the dead and that you could have a relationship with the Father through Christ. And the scripture says that those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And we are here today as a result of that sermon. We're here today because Peter was willing to take one more step. I don't think Peter could have imagined when he was washing his nets on the Sea of Galilee that 2,000 years later, U City Family Church would be celebrating their five-year anniversary in the Tivoli Theater. But we're here today because he was willing to take one more step. And there is no limit to where you can go if you're willing to take one more step. There's no limit. So the question that I have for all of us here today, and I'm going to close. What's your next step? In your life. What is it for you? I don't know what it is, but you do. What's the next step in your life? Maybe it means forgiving somebody that you haven't forgiven. Maybe it means seeking forgiveness for somebody that you've wronged. Maybe it means going back to school. Maybe it means uh, getting involved in a local church. Maybe it means making a commitment to Christ, taking out your connection card and letting us know you want to make a commitment. Maybe it means stepping forward in your commitment and getting baptized. Make Mother Ray so happy. You just let us know you want to get baptized. Right, Mother Ray? Maybe it's getting involved in a life group. Maybe it's getting involved on our dream team, finding a place to serve. We don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but you do. You know what it is for you. And I want to challenge you to take the step. There's no limit to where you can go if you'll take the step. We're about to take a step as a church. In the coming weeks, I told you I had a big announcement. I had to save it for the end of the sermon so you would stay with me. We, for the last five years, we've just been growing steadily. Uh, and as our congregation grows, uh, we've been making adjustments to how we do things to accommodate the growth. And the last several weeks, we have broken our attendance record three times in the last five weeks. People just keep coming. You're telling your friends. Uh, we've outstripped out, uh, our parking capabilities. People are parking all over the place. Uh, we, we've got about 150 spaces available to us, and we've far outgrown that. Our children's ministry space up in the family center, um, they're, they're bursting at the seams. I want to say it the right way. I don't want to say it's crazy and chaotic up there. No, it's not. Uh, the, the children's ministry team leaders have been emailing me and calling me and meeting me face-to-face in the last few weeks, so and we're at capacity. We've, hit, we've just hit a spot where we need to be able to expand our mission and our reach as a congregation. So beginning October 16, 2016, one month from now, we're going to offer two worship services at U City Family Church. We have a vision, we have a goal, of creating an environment where people can come to know God, where people can come and discover their purpose, where people can come and share the journey with other people, and where people can take the next step on their spiritual journey. We want to create a place where people can make a difference right here. And so we're taking the step of faith to expand the ministry of U City Family Church and provide an extra opportunity for people to come and worship with us. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we need to do between now and then. Number one, we need to be praying, guys. 
We need to be praying that God will guide us and lead us and walk us through this process in a way that's not, you know, too awkward and uncomfortable. Um, that, 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 that he would just show us how to do it, make it a seamless transition. We need to be finding places to serve. If you haven't gotten involved in serving, this is the time. Let us know. Get it, write it down on your connection card. Dream team or serve. Find a place to plug in on our greeting team or hospitality team or sound team or one of the teams. Find a place to plug in because we're going to need to serve. Another thing that we're going to need to do in the next few weeks, guys, is we're going to need to push into our life groups and into our discipleship. We cannot be a church that just gets bigger. We need to be a church that gets smaller and intimate. We can't stop being family. We need to have relationships. We need to have deep community relationships with one another. And we can't do that all in one Sunday. We need to do that in life groups, get involved in the dream team. We need to get bigger and smaller at the same time. We need to go wider and deeper at the same time. Remember that little children's song, Deep and Wide? There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Not just wide, we need to go deep. I'm not worried about this change, this transition. Uh, There's a lot to do. There are a lot of details to take care of. But I've seen God's faithfulness to us over the last five years. And if there's anything that I've learned in the last five years that I would share with you today, it's that there's no limit to where we can go, U City Family Church, if we are just willing to take the next step. God is calling each and every one of us to reach out beyond ourselves and to do more than what we're doing and to to pursue him more deeply than we're pursuing him, to reach beyond our grasp, to dream bigger than we've ever dreamed before, to open our hearts to him and to take one more step. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for us as a community, as a congregation, to take one more step because there's no limit to where we can go. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you today for your words. We praise you today for your spirit. We praise you today for the opportunity to come together, to grow together, to learn together, and to expand the work of your ministry here at U City Family Church. God, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray that you would fill their heart, Lord, with uh, a sense of understanding of what you would have them do next. What's the next step in their life? And God, fill them not only with the understanding, but with the courage, with the faith, with the boldness to take that step. Father, we ask that every single person here today be inspired, be encouraged, be filled with your power, be filled with your spirit to reach out to the community around them and to share the love of Christ with everybody they meet. God, we pray for every life group. We pray for every leader. We pray for every elder, every trustee, every team leader, every dream team member every member of this church and every visitor here today, God, that every single person in the sound of my voice today would just take one step closer to you. Father, we give you all the praise for this. Take us where you would have us go. Make us into the people you would have us be, both individually and as a community. And let us grow in you and let us learn from you and let us reach beyond our grasp and let us help the people of St. Louis take the next step on their spiritual journey. Father, we praise you for this. In Christ's name we pray, amen.